Hello everybody and welcome to This Game Where with me Ashley and that one over there. Chris, hello. Christopher, in a cactus t-shirt. Yes, yes I am, good spot. What have you been playing this week since we last spoke? Just lots more Lego Incredibles, I'm afraid to say. That's okay. We're don't, now on 93%, we're getting there. Are you really? Yeah. Brilliant, that's pretty good, well done, good going. What about you? I have been playing a couple of games, but I probably should tell you what my game is before I talk about what I have been playing. I didn't think about that when I asked you that question. I was <laughs> trying, because you, you moan about me asking you how you are and putting you on the spot, apparently. <laughs> yep. uh, I thought, I'll ask him what he's been playing instead, because that's an easier question to answer. It's empirical. I know fired. So have you been playing the game that we're going to do tonight? Well, shall I tell you what we're doing? Do our shtick, do our spiel, and stick to that. Okay. So this week's game is this game where you take on the role of an ex-soldier who has been employed by a climate conscious group who are trying to save the planet. Is a group called Avalanche? It certainly is, yeah. What do you think it is? <laughs> I guess for the long sword, uh, it's Final Fantasy Seven. Yep. So I've been playing, actually, this week. I've been playing a bit of Final Fantasy Seven, but I've also Great. been playing Final Fantasy Seven Remake which is oh, okay. not what we're going to talk about. We could, we'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that in the episode, but for the most part, this is going to be about Final Fantasy VII original from back in the 90s. You have played this. I know you've played this. Yeah, I absolutely adored Final Fantasy VII. Good. And this was on my list as a game that I wanted to bring to the table at some point as well. Oh, brilliant. They're, it's such a vast game, and we're, gonna, we're not necessarily going to be able to... We're certainly not going to be playing too much of it. Well, no, it's, what, 100 hours? Yeah, it's as long as you want it to be, really, isn't it? Because I, I know Straight that a lot life. of people... I know that a lot of people enjoy the sort of grinding in it and stuff. No? You haven't found that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Final Fantasy Seven was... Uh, Final Fantasy Eight was the game where I did that. I uh, leveled all my characters on 8 up to 100. Yeah, so I didn't ever do that with any of the Final Fantasies except Final Fantasy X, which is a game that we'll talk about later on in the in the show. Not in this show, in the <laughs> yeah. in the series. It'd be a um, very long episode Final if we talked about all of the Final Fantasies. Yeah, very much so. Final Fantasy VII was the first Final Fantasy that I played, and I think, thinking yeah, about it, it was me. probably actually the first RPG of any kind. Uh, well, not action RPG. Uh, the first sort of Japanese RPG role-playing um, turn-based sort of uh, affair prior to that i'd been largely playing uh, platformers fighting games and uh, the the standard fair really with a bit of zelda mixed in which is why i reneged on saying that i haven't played an rpg before this because mm. that's an, technically an action rpg but when you say rpg the thing that or when someone says rpg the thing that comes to mind first and foremost for me is this game final fantasy 7 yeah 100 the first time that i came across this game i was actually i think i was how old would I have been? Probably about nine. It came out in 1997. January, I think it was in Japan. And then later on in the year, sort of November 97 in Europe. It's also the very first Final Fantasy game to have come out in Europe, by all accounts. This is the first Final Fantasy game in America. Well, so the, do you know about the Final Fantasy game releases in America? I only know that bit of trivia about them being called Final Fantasy because it was Square's last attempt at an RPG, Final Fantasy 1. Because that's the whole thing. Oh, why is it still called Final Fantasy if it's on Final Fantasy 15? Oh, come on, move on. Well, there is that. I mean, the naming of them across the Game Boy and the SNES and so on, the early games, there's all kinds of weird naming uh, conventions that took place, and we'll talk about okay. them. We probably won't have time to talk about them today, but we'll talk about them uh, probably in a later episode, because I'm sure Final Fantasy will crop up again 
yes, in the future. Um, but the thing that I'll touch on here is that Final Fantasy Seven was the fourth Final Fantasy game to release in North America. It was the third, the first to release in Europe. In North America, Final Fantasy Four, Five, and Six had released. I think it was Four, Five, and Six. This is how complicated. It is. I think <laughs> let's just stick with Four, Five, and Six. Yeah, let's sure. say it was Four, Five, and Six. But in North America, they were named. Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3. Then Final Fantasy 7 released in North America and they call it Final Fantasy 7. So the name, the numbering system in America goes Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 7, 8, 9, 10, yeah, right. and so on. Um, the reason being, they didn't release the first three games in North America and Squaresoft thought that they would confuse people if they called Final Fantasy Four, Final Fantasy Four, because it was the first that the, Amer- the Americans had known of it, if you, I mean, if you see what I mean. That does make sense, doesn't it? However, it, it then let us lots complications further down the line, didn't it? Exactly. They threw it out the window for this. I think <laughs> the reason that they threw it out the window here was because Final Fantasy VII was, as I said, the first game to release in Europe, which meant that it was releasing in Japan, in Europe, and in North America. And it's as close to a worldwide rollout as they would normally get in okay. those days. They were looking at releasing this game to the world. And also, if they did the same thing in Europe and called this Final Fantasy One, then yes. they'd have in North Three America... territory. Exactly, with different naming, numbering systems. So it sounds ridiculously complicated, and I don't blame them for throwing it out the window. As I said, Final Fantasy VII is the first RPG that I think I played. I came across it for the first time at my next door neighbor's house who I was sort of friends with but he was about five years older than me and it must have been somewhere around 98 or 99 Mm -hmm. he had a play he was one of the only people I knew that actually had a PlayStation and he rented this game from from like Blockbuster or something like that. Oh, it wasn't you Blockbuster. He, he rented it to you or something. No, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't have the PlayStation to play it on. Um, he rented this game out from Blockbuster or whatever, but I think it was like a knockoff down the road Blockbuster. You know what I mean? Uh, Bo- like a Bo- corner Bluster. shop Blockbuster. Yeah, exactly. Blockbuster. Yeah. And the way that he tried to sell it to me is that it was a game where you can where you can move around the world visiting different towns. I mean, that does sound terrible. That is part of the game, but it's as much as part of the game as, I don't know, in Sonic, you can run left and right. Yeah, it definitely didn't light a fire. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah, that's fair. When I played it, I did play it and I just didn't get it. So that was the first time that I came across it. Then the second time, so I've talked about this person before. I used to go to my mum's friend's house and my mum's friend had a daughter who was a bit older than me and we used to play PlayStation games. So she had this and that was when, because she knew what games were she introduced me to it and that's where it clicked it made a whole lot more sense watching her play it and then playing it alongside her and then uh, over time as we as we went back we would play it each time i went round and uh, get further and further through it and then the third time you must uh, have been was, playing for hers for a long time like yeah we off. were so every yeah it was over a number of years i think we would yeah. play it dwindled down because we play it that was where i uh, played tony hawks as well i think that's when we right. talked about it previously but then i picked it up again when i was about 12 or 13 at a friend's house another friend's house uh, that i knew through from school and then we played it on and off for the whole time that we were friends really sort of five or six years we would play it we'd pick it up and put it down mm. pick it up and put it down and we would pick it up piecemeal the reason we were able to do that is because his he here's the friend whose playstation was chipped one of the things that we were able to do was downloading save files from the internet all right and getting them onto our playstation his playstation so that we could then pick them up in the game Did that definitely happened that's not the mandela effect that definitely happened that definitely happened mm. it used to be on game faqs they used to be able to download save files from gamefaqs.com right 
Yeah, I don't know whether they still do it now, but that definitely happened. I promise that happened. Can I just circuit back to your first friend renting Final Fantasy VII from Bockbluster? Surely he must have spent an absolute fortune renting it a bit at a time. No, because this person, they, he, he was like a FIFA. That's that was the level of his um, real like gaming understanding. He was he he would play FIFA. Right. I played quite a few good games at his house, actually. One that really stands out we'll be talking about in the future called Titanic Adventure Out of Time, which I might have mentioned to you before. He's also actually the friend that I played Broken Sword with for the first time. Okay. My next door neighbor. So I shouldn't necessarily deride his taste quite so badly as saying he was, was a FIFA. There was initially some shade thrown at him about FIFA, wasn't there? Yeah, but it, it, in truth, that was probably the, the level, but then he sort of dipped in and out of various different uh, things like, like Broken Sword, and occasionally he'd, p- he'd pick up some kind of nugget of brilliance. But for the most part, it was FIFA or Tekken. I don't even know why anyone would would rent Final Fantasy if they knew what it was. Yeah, the box art's not inviting at all. It's not even that. If you know what you're getting into with an RPG and that it's an, a 100-hour game, mm. I mean, for a start, the tip-off should be that it comes on three discs. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what anyone that rented Final Fantasy was thinking. If you did that, then please do explain to me because I, I just don't get it. Uh, but he did, and it what didn't surprise me, he didn't sell it to me. As I say, we played, me and my friend played it um, with these save files that we got off the internet. And it, it's not the Mandela effect. It definitely happened. Okay. I can't tell you how it happened because we weren't we weren't doing the magic his stepdad was. So I didn't actually see it happen. We've talked in the past, certainly in our first few episodes, we were marvelling at the ingenuity of tiny tiny dev teams mm-hmm. and what they were pumping out onto the SNES and the Mega Drive and, and so on. This is the furthest that you can get from that because this yeah. is this was made by a team of 100 to 150. Jeez. There wasn't, there isn't an actual finite number. There isn't a definite number uh, placed on it that I could find. But yeah, at the time, it was the biggest dev team that had ever been assembled. It cost $40 million. It was the most expensive game to ever be made at the time 20 more than 20 million 21 million dollars of the 40 million was spent on kitting up uh, on gearing up uh, for it so they bought these silicon graphics supercomputers that enabled them to create the 3d graphics Mm -hmm. for both the fmvs and the actual game characters they bought all of the software and so forth as well and they totaled 21 million dollars or thereabouts which is more than half of the budget of the game it's crazy one of the reasons that i guess they were able to do that is because the development took place over the course of just a single year did it yes now that blew my mind to make a game (laughs) that big yeah, exactly. I have no idea how they did that. So we talked about the last game that I did was Majora's Mask. That was my last episode. And we talked about how that was turned around in about nine months. Yeah. I can see how that happened. Yeah. This, I have no idea how they turned it around in that time, in a, in a year. I don't know whether the concept stuff was done prior to that and the de- it was actually development or whether that includes all the design stuff as well, because it was a full on, from the sound of it, it was a full on design job like it was a really strenuous like lots and lots of intensive work went into the design of it uh, yeah. and there were changes taking place all through it as well i cannot fathom how they bust this out in, in a year that, that blows my <laughs> mind know. as well i had no idea that that was the case either it started off being developed for the 64 double d i did wonder but i didn't want to throw you a third time in the episode i did <laughs> i did think i'm sure i remember this being some sort of thing for nintendo when it first started being 
developed. It was, yeah. And the story that goes around, I couldn't find anything in the last few days to corroborate this, but the story that I understood was that Squaresoft fell out with Nintendo yeah. in the time between the SNES and the N64 release. They fell out somehow, and I don't, I couldn't find that story banging around the internet in the last couple of days, but it's something that I've heard before. What I did here is that if it had come out on the 64DD in the version that was released, it would have taken 30 floppy disks. <laughs> you would have got this bundle of floppy disks that presumably you were going to have to change every... What would that be? Every three hours, you'd have to put in a new floppy disk. And then also imagine the cost of a, that, because you know, actually physically having those 30, that cost a fortune. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. So from what I've read, and this is sort of implication rather than concrete information, what I've read, it seems like the there was a conscious decision made by Squaresoft to transfer the development to the PlayStation because of the affordability of CD-ROMs and because of the capacity of CD-ROMs. Mm-hmm. It enabled them to do what they wanted to do without something ridiculous. If they'd, in reality, they never would have put the game out that they put out if they'd no. stuck with the, the double D because no. it just 30 discs... But like you say, it would have been unfeasible, completely unfeasible. But yeah, re- really interesting to think about. And that is one of the reasons, I think, that the PlayStation was such a game changer because... I was about to say, it's become synonymous with PlayStation 1, Five on 7 has. Yeah, so this is, as I say, it was the most expensive uh, game to be released. It was the biggest team ever assembled. And it was also the, the biggest marketing budget. So $40 million dollars was spent marketing this game around the world. Jeez. 10 of that was in Europe, 10 of that was in Japan, and 20 of it was in North America. Right. Which, again, the biggest marketing budget, mm. the biggest marketing push ever seen in, in games. What I'm working towards is basically uh, Final Fantasy was the birth of what we would call the the big budget AAA development frontier. They were at the forefront of that, and that's really what's led to what we've got now. You wouldn't have any of those big releases. No. You wouldn't have any of those if it wasn't for Final Fantasy. So that was just one area that it was breaking huge ground it has garnered a lot of accolades yeah I, and i don't just mean the awards that it's won because it's won a lot of those it was released to rave reviews around the world but it's also you know it's it was the birth for a lot of people of their gaming passions if you remember the game journey yeah the person that started that game company his name or his anglicized name because he's, he's chinese he called himself Genova Chen. Really? Which I'd never put the two and two together on. Yeah, so he wanted something to stand out and he was a passionate, ardent fan of Final Fantasy VII. So he chose Genova so that as an anglicised name, it would stand out from the crowd. And it certainly does. I think I completed this game three times. I think I have completed this game three times. And... Genova, I'll be honest, I don't really understand the plot at all, but I know that Genova's bad. It's, it's so it's quite a strange thing to name yourself after. Unless it was it stands out, doesn't it? Genova's Genova's it's it's difficult. Genova is bad. I was yes. I'm gonna now try and okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna now try and suggest that Genova isn't as bad as maybe we make out, in so much as Genova is a fairly passive thing in the game whatever genova is and genova is it's the scientists that work on genova and that do the bad things with genova that mean that we think of genova as bad okay that seems like a good point for me to jump with my personal memories of the game so it kind of ties back into what you just said about it being a triple a title so i got this game i think for my birthday in 1998 when it came out on the PlayStation Platinum range. Yeah. Which was like the, the budget. Do you still have the discs? 
Yes, I do. Okay. Are they worth a bit? Not the Platinums, I wouldn't have thought. Mm, but sorry. No, it's fine. And I got it because it was, you know, a game that I heard lots of people talking about. It was in lots of the magazines that I read and I thought, okay, I'll give that a go. I was really into it until you left Midgar and then you're on that oh, really? the map. And at that point, because then you sort of, you're then off in the map and you get the random battles all the time and you had to defeat that was that big flying worm that was guarding a swamp and I mm. I couldn't do that battle and I was getting really mm. hacked off with all these random battles that kept appearing I gave up I stopped playing it after about a month or so I then picked it up again and just really fell head over heels for it and completed mm. it and as I've said I've completed it a couple of times subsequently not for a long time yeah. but going back to what you've said about it, it informing people's gaming tastes I then played Final Fantasies 8, 9 and 10 off the back of this which I wouldn't have done I went back and did 6 when that came out on the PS1 as well I think RPGs as a whole I think this was the first RPG I played and had I mm. not played this I would never have probably picked up a Zelda game loads of other games that I love mm. nowadays I think my love of those games is due to this. Yeah, so it started something big for me as well. So I, I've alluded to it, and I don't know if I really explained it as well as I could have. So you said that you've completed this game three times. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of trouble knowing whether I've actually completed it or not. Okay, what you define the as reason completed. Being, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, well, it's not even what you're thinking. I said to you that the first time I uh, came across it was my next door neighbour. Then the next time it was at this uh, person's house that I only visited every so often when my mum went around there. And then the third time, was at my friend's house but obviously when I was going to my friend's house if I left as I often did at his house at the end of the day he would <laughs> I quite see often you usually did yeah I, well I spent a long time a lot of time at his house uh, to be quite honest and there were probably weeks where I didn't leave but if I left when I left he would probably carry on mm-hmm. and so my experience of the game was a little bit sort of I pick up this bit and then yeah, I miss a bit. Yeah. And then I go back around a couple of days later and I play the next bit with him. And I've definitely finished the game with him, but I haven't necessarily played the whole game through from start to finish with anybody, including myself. And I'm working on that at the moment. So that's what you started this week is to try and do that. So I've been playing Final Fantasy Remake, uh, which I got for Christmas in preparation for this, uh, which I might pick up again in the second half. It's brilliant. Better than I gave it credit for when I played the demo. It really is very good, very well-implemented game mechanics-wise. But I have also, certainly today, been playing the original Final Fantasy VII. I've just got to Mount Nebel or Mount Nibel. Mount Nibel? Which bit's that? You don't know. Right, so this is what I was. This is one of the things that I was going to ask you. How well do you know the names of places? Because I didn't know, and I still probably wouldn't be able to tell you most. Describe names of places. what happens there. Yes. So Mount Nibel is where you find Vincent. Wasn't Vincent in the spooky house in the mansion? Yeah. Just just past where the village that Cloud grew up in. Right. Or that it, yes. or that it wasn't Cloud because so, it was the right. So this is the point at which. If you have not played the game and you do not want to know anything about the game, you go away. (laughs) Because there will be... We aren't going to hold back. We're going to talk about the game. We're going to talk about things that happen, big things that happen in the game. um, And you maybe don't want to know about them. So, yes, please turn off now. You've had your warning. Go away. Go away. Go away. But but join us next week, though. Yeah. Obviously. No offence. So Mount Nibel is the mountain behind Nibel, Nibelheim? Nibelheim? Yeah. I was going to ask you about pronunciation. I just said Nibelheim because I think it's um, like Norse mythology. I'm sure Nibelheim is something from, I think so. I can tell you that Nef- Nibelheim's not a Norse, Norse place, but Nefelheim is. 
it's definitely alluding to yeah Nif- uh, Niflheim is yeah you're right yeah but not Nibelheim isn't I don't know how you pronounce them there's all the other things like Mako or Marco the new game Final Fantasy VII Remake calls it Marco when I've been calling it Mako I'm bit, I call it Mako Marco's the Marco Polo so, so around the world <laughs> yeah exactly I think we've anglicised it though because in Japanese pronunciation it actually makes sense that it's Marco because they only have a, i, e, o, o as vowel sounds so ma Ko is the Japanese way I guess right. of pronouncing it and I've we've just anglicised it same as I used to call Sauron Sauron I uh, had to abandon that as well yep. there's lots of these things that I maybe can't pronounce so you might pronounce them differently other people might pronounce them differently Nibelheim Nibelheim is where Cloud did or didn't grow up or didn't grow up yeah uh, as the case is you get back there and you've got all these weird people walking around in black hoods going reunion are you going to the reunion Severov like that very odd ambience to, to Nibelheim I really you know now you've done it in that voice that is how I would have to imagine them going forward that is how I imagined them saying things yes. they're all like decrepit and weird and shaky Vincent Vincent I just collected Vincent and that is the first time I've ever collected Vincent oh, okay so I've never done the stuff with Vincent I always used to go in and read the note and then go nah I can't bother and <laughs> turn around which also means that it's the first time that I've had the summon that comes out of the safe in the mansion as well which is... I can't remember off the top of my head. It's either Ramu or Odin, I think. I remember the baddies. There's yin-yang bad guys in there. I remember them being really yeah. cool. Did you ever get yeah. Yuffie as well? Yeah, uh, so Yuffie, I always used yeah. to get always used to have Yuffie because she was easy to pick up when you leave Midgard the first time however I haven't got Yuffie in the playthrough that I'm doing right now so I've gone out of my way to get Vincent and I've buggered up Yuffie I didn't go and get her <laughs> I should be able to go get her later but it means that I've missed lots of uh, little dialogue bits yeah. that I could have experienced but never mind but going um, back so to Yuffie... what we said about the, 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 uh, the developments because you're right about these optional characters and that changes the conversations that happen so frequently ab- aboard the high winds yeah. without these characters here that you might have missed I mean there's so much code going on there yeah exactly yeah there's lots and lots of stuff to talk about which is unfortunate because we only have so much time this might run long but to sort of zoom to zone back in to focus back in the, the definition of completion oh that's what we were talking about yeah. yeah the definition of completion have I completed it or haven't I because I didn't play every minute of the game file that I actually experienced the end of the game in do you know what I mean yeah I would say that you can complete it without collecting Yuffie or Vincent mm-hmm. and without doing all of the side missions and things but I wonder whether I can actually legitimately say finish that game just because I've experienced the end of the game yeah I would say probably not yeah which means I've never completed this game right. even though I've seen the end a couple of times so I'm gonna have to correct that and I'm working on well, it in, I am working on it in I terms promise. of me saying I've completed it I did on one of my playthroughs got a gold chocobo oh, I'm not now sure that chocobo is the correct way to pronounce it now you said that yeah chocobo yeah, that just sounds horrible no I don't know and I was making it up as well the gold chocobo I'd say chocobo took me flipping ages to get however i've never defeated emerald or ruby weapon because i could just could not do that i know with emerald there's all those not hacks but there's there's methods using like knights of the round and phoenix and, and all that but i just could not do it at all so i haven't done those either um for obvious re- well not for obvious reasons but i just haven't done them so why is this game i've alluded to this again as well why is this game so well regarded that is the question that i think we should think about when we're playing and what we should maybe discuss when we come back in for the second half deal there is as i say there's a hell of a lot to say about this game and we've only got so much time and we've got to get stuck into the at least the beginning of it and play as much as possible in the time that we've got so uh yeah i think we should call it a day on this half i'm hoping to get 
played up to the bit where Cloud dresses up as a girl. I don't think you will. No, I don't think I will <laughs> but, either. <laughs> there you go. See you in a minute. How was that then, Chris? You played an hour, I think. I, I just feel like I've I've tipped the iceberg and it's given me a taste for the rest of the iceberg. Yeah, this are, are is the problem. tasty? I don't know. I you know, don't, never mean. licked one. I do know what you mean, unfortunately. I wish I didn't. <laughs> the game is massive and we knew full well that we weren't going to get into it. But you've played it, as you say, you've finished it three times before. So we both yeah. are fairly well versed in it by now. You said you haven't played it for 20 years. Yeah, I, th- I think when I... So I completed it three times. I think that was three times in fairly quick succession over two or three yeah. years. And yeah, I think it is 20 years since I last played it. So it was definitely useful to play it again because it was complete, not completely different. It was very different to how I remembered it being. It's one of, I think, the best openings in video games. Like, yeah, I think I, I agree can't with that. think of a better, more emotive, more effective opening sequence. Yeah, definitely. The way the music wells up for me. I thought it was the way the camera swooped over the city and then it pulled back and then it zoomed back into the part of it. I thought it was so, it told so much plot with no words both of them working together is it's a phenomenon and i honestly can't understand how they did it (laughs) again to come back like it took them a year it was one year and they came up with what is uh, rightly regarded as a masterpiece and it starts from the very from the very moment the game opens up you've got that swelling of music that starts off with the strings you've got the cinematic camera that's swooping along as you say and then it it as you, uh, and it tells you a lot of story it introduces the characters as you go through the, as you swoop through the streets it's phenomenal and it's a perfect example or at least a perfect taster of why i think this game is so brilliant we talked while playing about this being probably the first game that had that cinematic feel to it. Yeah. So I don't know if it was. Like, it's it's a bit of... Um, I'm sure there were games that tried it, but certainly in my mind, whether it's the uh, Mandela effect or what, it feels like this is where it all started for games. I don't think the technology really would have allowed a game to have been this epic in sense of scale before. Well, 3D was already happening prior so pc games uh were certainly dabbling in 3d it's just whether a company or whether a studio had managed to do what whether it's they utilized. managed to do with this and i unfortunately i wish i could claim to be an absolute authority on it but i feel uncomfortable ma- making that assertion um so yeah to my mind certainly it's it's probably the first real solid cinematic game yeah. Do you know what I mean? I feel um, uncomfortable completely. saying it, but it's hugely cinematic and it feels like it's taken games in a in a direction that they've not been in before. Um which ties into what I was saying about it being really the first AAA title. You you think about as came out early 1997. Was PlayStation was it summer 95 it came out. So there've been 18 months of PlayStation games before then. I mean, I don't know about you, but the only real PlayStation games I can remember coming out around 1996 were things like Pandemonium, which is really garish platform game with like a clown mm. and a jester and then suddenly oh, yeah. you've got this it's it's a whole different 
thing. I think we're saying the same thing. It changed it changed the gaming world. It changed the industry and sent it in a whole new direction. All I'm saying is I'm going to stop short from saying that it's the first real yeah. cinematic venture because I think there were probably ones before it. The music. The thing that strikes me is the music. For you, it's the cinematics, the actual mm-hmm. visuals. The music, though, if I, if I can indulge myself for a moment, as I am wont to do, It's all by Nobuo Uematsu. He had worked on all the Final Fantasies up to now. This game, I mean, he was knocking it out of the park anyway. I'm sure you would agree. The Final Fantasy games prior to this have brilliant soundtracks. I always remember the Final Fantasy VI, the bit in the Opera House. The music there is great. It doesn't do it justice. No, it doesn't. And and this is what we're going to struggle with without actually playing music. But every Final Fantasy game, the ones before it, the ones after it, and especially this one for me, they have these soundtracks that just, they transcend anything else in gaming for the most part. If you ask the man on the street or whatever what games sound like chances are they're gonna say bleepy bloopy something or other because that's the why the hell are you talking to me get away from me maybe they say that i feel like the stereotype of gaming music is one thing and then final fantasy games and actually rpgs in general they they have taken the art form and they have elevated it because Mm -hmm. you've got some of the most outstanding i think versions of classical music being produced in the modern era they are actually coming from these games well, people go and see Final Fantasy uh, soundtracks played by orchestras, and they, they do world tours. Precisely. And the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack is fantastic as it exists. They were going to try and do an orchestral soundtrack for Final, the original Final Fantasy. And they were also, because it because of the space that it afforded them having it on CD-ROMs, they were going to use vocals in the soundtrack as well. Really? Wow. Yeah. They actually put them together and they put them into builds of the game. And it, just, wow. it slowed everything down a little bit too much. So oh, okay. they, they went back to the drawing board and they used midis. So the, the original soundtrack is midi based as was the norm for the most part at that point in time the difference between this and previous final fantasies is that the snes worked on eight sound channels the playstation had 24 16 of which could be used for music so you had double the channels double the number of layers of sounds that you could put together to make make the music you wanted to make and nobu matsu just took those and ran with them and produced what i think are some of the most iconic pieces of music in the gaming world even now i think that if you asked people what final fantasy sounded like you would get a version of something from from final fantasy 7 quite probably so presumably the versions that have the singing over the top of them exist somewhere or are available yeah so you get I would imagine soundtrack so. albums yeah i was listening to one actually earlier to prepare right. for this it's it's the midis that you get you don't get you don't get the vocals. The vocals surprises me. Well, it doesn't surprise me because they were removed. It was a fairly early decision in the development process. So they probably exist in some form in terms of like back alleys of yeah. computers in the Square Enix offices. But other than that, I don't think they will have been released to the public. It would be great to, it's like a little insight into, yeah. into the development to hear some of that. But I don't know whether that will ever happen. So the music, music is brilliant. I hope I've, <laughs> I hope I've got that uh, across. So I'm going to, jump back in with the cinematic aspect i thought the mm. look of the game itself the backdrops are static but the way they look there's there's the, the almost the first one you come to cloud comes out of this tunnel and you're onto this cobbled street that's got this machinery busting away and the alleyway that you've come out of the the lights coming from it casting a bit of a shadow and it it, it almost looks like a painting it's just so nice well done. it really is it's a pre, it's pre-rendered ah, there so we go. it basically is a painting isn't it one of the things that i've noticed in this playthrough that i've been doing lately is that there are these transition moments that happen so say in that moment where they are infiltrating sector seven 
react to open. The doors slide open because yeah. uh, Jesse's pressed a button or whatever. The transition from a static image to the doors sliding open is pretty seamless for one. Mm-hmm. You then get these quite glorious moments. So the one that comes to mind is arriving in Golden Saucer. Do you remember that you take, you go from Coral Town and you take a cable car type thing from Coral Town up to Golden Saucer? And as it arrives, it is a, a computer generated video type thing. And then when it stops moving, it turns into the pre-rendered and the the transition's obvious, but it feels, again, like you said about the scope of things, the ambition of what they were doing and how they were animating things and how they were transitioning from the FMV to the to the pre-render. Yeah. It, it just, it's all really pitch perfect, the execution of it. And yeah. it, it blows me away playing it even now. Like, I know that someone that hasn't played it before, if they came to it now, they'd probably poo-poo it, turn their nose up a little bit at it. But if you really stop to think... <laughs> how much work went into getting that right and how well it's been done it's such a small turnaround as we've discovered as well yeah exactly they've just done their jobs to the to the nth like it's phenomenal so yeah the visuals they are certainly part of it as well so we've got the music the visuals and obviously then the the third part of the trio that makes these this just a phenomenal game is the storytelling yeah i was trying to explain well i think i was explaining quite well actually um how this story balloons as you go so you start off with cloud arriving this unknown soldier arriving to to do a little job on the side a mm-hmm. little barrow job for avalanche the climate activists and it feels quite consequential and massive like huge scale because you are blowing up a their version of a nuclear reactor that yeah. is how you come into the game and you think this is big meaty fair like this is really as i say consequential and by the end of the game now i'm dealing with a man who wants to break open the world and suck out the juices so that he can become a god which sounds utter lunacy yeah it really is but the the movement the transition it's such it's so well incremented you Mm. move from the small to the very very large in such increments that it feels very like a very natural transition it feels very masterful the way that they've told that story and the way that they've escalated that story i would jump in there and just say that having played it three times i never understood the plot i mean you're explaining some bits to me tonight and it was making me think back to the last time i played it 20 years ago and thinking Oh, yeah, that makes sense now. I've done reading around it. You know, I'm not saying that I've got it all from from the game. It's, def- it's definitely been helped along by reading things off the internet at various stages in the time that I, since I've played it. But why you've got that overriding plot, what the game does really well is all the characters are given these little, it's almost like spinning plates that you, you mm. sort of, you, you learn a bit about this character and their drive and their history. And then you go to the next area and you learn a bit more about this character. And then you go to the next place and then you might jump back to a bit about the first character and the way they build up and the relationships you form these characters is so powerful. Well, it's the relationships that they have with each other as well and with the world that they inhabit and the fact that they feel like they do inhabit the world. The The perfect example of what you're saying for me is Red 13, who comes into your uh, party with very little to his character other than he is a dog. <laughs> he is a big red dog who's been experimented on. That is his drive. And a lot of games, you would have got that and that would have been enough. Yeah. You know, he's part of your party. He fills, he fills a role. He does he does the job. And then you get to Cosmo Canyon, which is his town. And you see a totally other side of him, for one, because he's like really excited to arrive home and see his granddad. And then this whole story unfolds about his 
family and how and about why he feels resent towards his dad he thinks his dad ran away and left his mum to die in this battle of Cosmo Canyon and the reality is very different his dad actually was the hero of Cosmo Canyon he saved everybody's lives including Red 13s yeah and he didn't necessarily need all of that but it gives you a whole new emotional attachment to him as a character yeah and you have this emotional moment as well where he's sat underneath his father who has been turned to stone as happens in these games (laughs) who's been turned to stone and he is howling at the moon and his dad's statue is crying and it's like just a really move like genuinely given that he's a big old red wolf character it's a genuinely moving moment Mm. that makes you feel something for him while we're talking about that sort of thing then let's address the elephants in the room Aerith or Eris so Aerith dies (laughs) how did you react when that happened well with shock because she's a main character so I said to you one of the byproducts of Aerith's death is that on all subsequent playthroughs Aerith gets sidelined by people that know Aerith gets sidelined you don't use Aerith as a playable character what's the point in investing money and time into developing her so no point using her in battles to level her up you mean yeah that's what yeah. I mean and buying her weapons and things so there is that is a, an unfortunate downside but at the same time that first moment of her being killed by Sephiroth is such a shock like I, mm. I did not expect it at all it helped because you have invested your time because you invested your money because you've actually invested your emotions into this character it smacks you right in the face yeah. or in the feels or somewhere like that face or feels one of the two or maybe both <laughs> it's either or so that's just another really good example of the game underpinning its character uh, the other thing is as well they chose Aerith very consciously because she was like the primary female protagonist. In fact, one of the things that I found out, Tifa didn't exist until Aerith died. All right. They Because they had, so this is a little bit dated, they had their female protagonist in the party. Then they killed her. They made the decision to kill her. So they felt like they had to bring in another female protagonist to bolster the fact that they've lost their other one. And you've not right. just got a full party of, of blokes, which... Uh, you know, it's the right choice. It's just that maybe they... Yeah, but they could have also had more characters in the first place. I, I don't know. It's just spitballing on that one. There's Yuffie. She's a girl. Yeah, she's a, she's an optional, optional. character there, isn't yeah. she? So you could get through without her. The other thing is they were planning at one point. They were planning on, after Aerith died, they were planning on killing pretty much everybody else just before the final battle. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and they made the choice not to because they felt that it would undercut the impact Completely. of Aerith's death if you then just got rid of everybody else. Um, it would have been interesting, but it would have, as they say, it would have undercut Aerith. Death of Aerith. Oh, the introduction of Sephiroth. That's the other thing. So the introduction of Sephiroth. One of the things that I like about the original that is changed in the remake uh, is that you hear about Sephiroth. You hear like murmurings of him, suggestions of him until before you actually meet him. And it's a good number of hours before he actually gets introduced as an actual visual character on screen. The bit I played through earlier, there was a flashback to when Cloud and Tifa were children together, which is interesting Mm. given what you just said about how she was retconned into it. And Cloud mentions, I want to be a big hero like Sephiroth. And that was, you know, so that's less than an hour into the game and he's already been mentioned Mm. as a big hero. Oh, that's the other thing, actually, we haven't talked about. Um, So we've started to talk about Nibelheim in the first half, didn't we? Yeah. Cloud in in himself, though, Cloud is uh, is the main protagonist. Cloud is a really interesting character in so much as he is not who he seems. So we've alluded to it a couple of times. His memories of Nibelheim are false. You get to Nibelheim and he start, he's said that it burnt down five years ago. You get to Nibelheim and there's people living there who have no clue who he is and who tell him 
profusely. It didn't burn down, that it's always been here and that he's never lived there. Right. And that's the first real strong suggestion that Cloud's memories are maybe quite flawed it then transpires that he is actually not even necessarily a good character that he was doing some quite heinous acts as a soldier Mm. and that part of him sort of trying to deal with the trauma is actually blocking it out and co-opting the life of an actual good man zach who is introduced later on in the game has got this disassociating himself from what happened he is actually dealing with his trauma by suppressing it and replacing it with someone else's lived experience but beyond that doesn't it transpire that cloud's a clone yeah so he's he i think correct me if i'm wrong i think he is a failed sephiroth clone and sephiroth himself is a clone as well like from genova's genome right they used that's that's where genova comes in genova was used to to create weapons of war like sephiroth the soldiers is that why there's a jehovah boss that's called mother jehovah or genova yeah yeah because he he always he he thought that it was his mother i don't know whether he believed that she was his mother in a very literal sense or whether he understood actually that he was a a clone of some kind right before we move on the reason that cloud is so interesting is because the whole what happens throughout this game is that his his reliability comes into question so you've been playing this game from his perspective the story's been being told by his perspective you've been seeing his memories playing out on screen and then you get told well those maybe aren't what you think they are this man isn't what who you think he is therefore maybe you should question Mm. everything (laughs) Before we move on to things that we maybe didn't like quite so much about it, I want to just mention the designs of the characters. I thought it would look really jarring, the the blockiness of them. But I think it's been done as a deliberate stylistic choice because if they'd tried to go photorealism, it would not have worked and it would just have jarred. And the chibi style design of these characters, I think is it suits and they're allowed to be so expressive. That's exactly the reason. You've actually got realistic versions of these characters in the game. So you've got the FMVs, which are obviously very detailed models, but you've then also got slightly less detailed, well, very less detailed models that have realistic proportions and realistic features in the battle so whenever you're battling you've got actual realistic which makes it very clear that it was a design choice to have them the way that they are in like the overworld absolutely some other tidbits that i don't know where to fit in that i found out about so cloud and sephiroth sephiroth they obviously have quite distinctive styles of them of their own like uh, sephiroth has his very 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 long sword yeah and there's obviously the buster sword which um cloud starts off with that big fat yeah huge cleaver thing uh, they were actually modeled on a pair of i'm gonna get this wrong i think they were samurais or ronin or something the first called miyamoto musashi the second called sasaki K- kajiro cloud was musashi and sephiroth was kajiro and kajiro actually did have an overly long sword really yeah it was an Adachi, which is a or Adachi, which is a you know like those slightly, very slightly curved yeah. swords that uh, you see a samurai carrying. Well, his a normal one was seventy centimeters long. His was ninety. Right, and they are both very well known characters in like Japanese culture, Japanese myth. I was going to say mythos, but I believe that they were real people. 
And Musashi and Kijero, uh, Kijero actually died at the hands of Musashi. The legend is that they had a duel. Kijero and Musashi struck at the same time with their signature moves, because they had signature moves. I can't remember what they were called, but they had signature moves and they they both struck at the same time. That's something like it. Yeah. One of them was something like the swallow strike. I think Kijero used swallow strike and it was the way he moved his sword. But anyway, slightly, this is a tangent on a tangent now. Yeah. Um, They struck each other at the same time. Kijero brought his sword down they stopped and the headband on Musashi's head fell from his head and had been sliced in two but his skin hadn't been sliced and then Kajiro had had his head bashed in by Musashi so Musashi won but it was like razor close (laughs) there's a film of it it's the samurai trilogy I'm looking forward to our spin-off podcast where you relay legends from around the world because you did that beautifully did I I tried (laughs) I feel like I was repeating myself Never mind. Uh, so that's one thing that I that I didn't know where to fit in. The other thing was just a note that I made that the first sort of sequence of games, the Final Fantasy games, they were actually sort of medieval settings, fantastical settings. This one is very much in the sci-fi sort of futuristic yeah. sci-fi uh, genre, cyberpunky. And actually, if you look at number six, if you look at Final Fantasy six with the Magitech and, and stuff, that feels very much like a transition game in between the old Final Fantasy, fantastical fantasy, medieval settings, yeah. and this new approach, which is the uh, sci-fi setting. It continues into eight, but then it, ju- fades, was, it disappears in nine. I was just thinking as you thinking ahead as you were saying that, yeah, eight, I think, carried that on, and then nine went back to being medieval a bit. Well, it was very medieval, yeah. Eight is an interesting one in itself, isn't it? Because you've got the... They're at the academy. Yeah. Learn how to be something. Like I say, I've only dabbled with eight. Um, but then they are like archaeologists going and unearthing. They go and find Ifrit, don't they, first? Yeah, that's the in first like a cave. mission, yeah. And they sort of... They go and they're archaeologists looking for the past. And then it turns out the school, the school can fly as well. Oh, can it? Oh, yeah. wow, that sounds good. I might have to play that. To my shame, I haven't played 8 and 9. I don't know if we said that in the first half. I've dabbled with them. I've started them and not come back to them. I own 9 twice. I own 8 once. And I still haven't actually played them. So I have to fix that as well. 8 is good. I played it through once and then looked back on it and thought mm, it was okay but it wasn't anything great so i've not really i've not touched it since whereas nine is really good so nine is a lot of people say nine is the absolute pinnacle of the series oh, it's not better than seven in my opinion but it's very very good mm, it fluctuates for people a lot of people say nine a lot of people say seven seven's obviously mine i've i've played 10 i've played 10 12 13 15 and seven's still my favorite oh and three four no four five and six i've played number one two but i don't really like them but it's just mm-hmm. because they're a bit dated yeah uh they're, they're a bit bound by the nez yeah. uh so yeah final fantasy seven reigns supreme as far as i'm concerned yeah i, th- I think it's my favorite but that as we've established a few times through the course of this podcast is it because it was the first one that we played i suspect that's the reason for me i think there's possibly that but i do think that you go back to it now if you played it then you you go back to it now it's still phenomenal the music still is stunning you said going back to it 20 years later it still looks phenomenal yes the story's still brilliant i don't know how the uh, how eight and nine tell their stories but seven does a real real good job and i i don't know again if i said about sakaguchi so sakaguchi was a designer on this game um and he did all the underpinning work for the narrative and one of the reasons that the that life and death are, are such a big theme in the game. The reason that the live stream exists, for for instance, is that Sakaguchi's mum died when they were working on, I think, Final Fantasy 3. 
Right. He was having a real hard time with the with the after effects, with the grief inherent in that situation. He didn't yeah. have to deal with it. And so he decided that the next game that he worked on, he would make life and death an underpinning theme so that he would be forced to deal with those feelings in a more analytical and rational way. Right. So that has been funneled into what we've got now. So you've got people, we've highlighted actually some, haven't we? So Zach, Zach's death or dis- and, and dispense Dine, who we haven't mentioned, who is Barrett's best friend, who ends up killing himself, is Marlene's dad, um, who who kills himself because he doesn't feel like he's worthy of his daughter's love, <laughs> which is bleak. You've got the live stream stuff, the fact that the world is literally going to be because people can't look after it. You got you got life and death just strung all the way through this, absolutely, uh, and it's it's all because of Sakaguchi. I think given that they're dealing with such weighty themes, it lends a strength. The storytelling because you're dealing with things that are in the end of the day they are universal central and universal yeah and maybe that's one of the reasons that this holds up in a way that other games don't yeah i i can't speak for eight and nine though as i say because i haven't played them through so if you are interested in playing this game if you haven't played it or if you want to pick it up then i would highly recommend the switch version it is available on the pc and the playstation and the xbox as well i believe the same versions like these little remasters they've been tidied up visually but more importantly as far as i'm concerned is these quality of life improvements that they've made whereby you can turn on and off at whim three helpful tools the first of which is turning off battles so the random battle the random battle system that is part of the game, you can turn it off, which is very, very useful because sometimes you just want to bez from one end of the <laughs> map to the other without being interrupted here, there, and everywhere by Cactuar or Chocobo or any number of other weird creatures that want to attack you and eat you. Uh, so you can turn all them off, which really helps. You can also turn the speed of the game up by a factor of three, so times three speed, which is brilliant, really good. Sometimes the game... Is a bit slow. Yeah. Tonight, once I found out how to use the run button to zoom around areas, I was finding it quite frustrating. But even the running speed is still pretty slow. It's slow. Everything about the game is slow. The pace is very, very slow. And I think that's that's where we can say it is of its time. It, yeah. it just wasn't as nippy. It wasn't thinking too much about saving the player time or not costing the player time where it didn't need to. Even the battle system, the active battle system, you have to wait for the bar to fill up before you can attack and stuff. Everything's slow. Turning it up by a factor of three makes it very, very nippy and very, very enjoyable. The third thing that you can do is you can turn on what is for all intents and purposes god mode. So you can you can give yourself infinite health and infinite limit breaks and infinite everythings, which makes it as easy or as hard as you want it to be, really. If you're having a hard time with a, an enemy that you want that you have to get past, you can turn that on and get past the enemy. So I could go and settle a 25-year-old vendetta against Emerald against Weapon. Against a flying worm. Brilliant. Oh, against Emerald Weapon, yeah. I thought you were on about the flying worm that oh, turned no, you I, off the game in I the first place. I settled that beef. It's Emerald Weapon. That's dealt with him. I still, even now, I've done it in the last couple of weeks before I even knew you were bringing this game tonight. I still occasionally watch videos on YouTube of people slaughtering Emerald Weapon just to get some vicarious kicks out of it. (laughs) Right, okay. So those three things together, they really bring new life to the game. A game that otherwise would be, for some people, I think, uh, the the downsides, those downsides would be too much of a turnoff and people just wouldn't play it. Frankly, I've enjoyed it quite a lot more, this playthrough that I'm doing, than I remember playing, than I remember some enjoying some of my other playthroughs like previously. Just because it's nippy it's it's convenient 
when I want it to be. It allows you to relive your memory of the game, not the reality of the game, which would be yeah, exactly. a, a battle that's it, that's every really few it. steps. Yeah, and they can get really annoying. They really can get annoying, those those constant battles. Well, that's really my major negative of the game, having played it just now, is the battle system, is that you're trying to get across an area and every few steps you've got this battle. It does slow the pace down quite a lot. There are a couple of things I've created about the battle system that I felt seemed quite dated and I felt mm. were also deliberately masking information from me as the player, which you did counter, so we'll discuss those. I said that... There was a, a battle I was having with this boss. It was like a big scorpion robot thing. And it was mm. that I was trying to... Basically, it was a tutorial for how limit breaks work, that you keep attacking enemies and you'll build this limit break meter, which was great. But I was attacking the scorpion and I had no idea of when the battle was going to end as to actually whether I was... Well, obviously, I was whittling its health down, but by how much? You mm. said there is some material that you get later in the game called sense yeah. that does mm. give you that information but at this point in yeah. the game why would i not be given that information that you know is quite essential really for the battle it's essential and it's not i'm playing assassin's creed valhalla at the moment so if you were a viking in uh, in old norway and you were preparing for battle you wouldn't have it's not quite analogous this but you wouldn't have information on how much health bob down the road are you about to slaughter no, as guys so it's sort of a real world <laughs> Which is ridiculous because you're fighting a big giant scorpion robot. But it's a real world thing. Like they're saying that it's a fuzziness to the information that you have. Now you do get sense materia that allows you to fill in the blanks there for you. But at the same time, one of the things that I think the certainly early RPGs, and this, let's be clear as well, that lack of information oftentimes is still apparent in new games, like new RPGs that come out. You don't always get given the H for the enemies that you fight. Part of playing the game is learning those things. So if you come up against a bomb in Final Fantasy VII and you know a bomb has got so much health, you can then keep track in your head, well, I've hit him for 200 health, hit him again for 300 health, and so on. If you're given that information, it takes away an element of that learning process, which some people enjoy, I guess. And another criticism out of the battles, which I remember people saying back in the day, was the whole lethargic almost nature of the battles that you're taking in turns and you just stand there and letting the enemy attack you and then your, your bar fills up and then it's your turn to attack. That it's very Yeah, so turn-based battles. Some people just don't go on with them. Hannah doesn't really care for turn-based RPGs, which means that actually the turn that they've taken these days, a lot of a lot of RPGs have gone have moved to active battle systems. Yeah. And Final Fantasy actually a perfect example of this because they've been using active battle system well they used an active battle system in 12 they then used it again in 15 and and then in remake the final fantasy 7 remake it's an active battle system it is actually as far as i'm concerned the active battle system in final fantasy 7 remake is more enjoyable than the turn-based battle system of final fantasy 7 the original okay which is an interesting turn up for the books because when i tried the demo i didn't actually think that i would like the active battle system okay. turns out it's pretty good I really do enjoy it. In terms of the wider universe and canon of the game, you, you're obviously playing through the Final Fantasy VII remake at the moment. Did you, did you ever watch Advent Children? Yes. So they started kicking the idea around for Advent Children off the back of Final Fantasy VII because the technology... I told you that they bought in these supercomputers, these silicon graphics supercomputers yeah. uh, that allowed them... I just realised I went properly like Lincolnshire there, supercomputers. <laughs> no, te no teas in supercomputers. <laughs> They brought in all this technology and then they realised off the back of doing all the FMV work, 
just how much power they had, how much to do brilliant things. And Advent Children was something that they started to work on from then. So it didn't come out till, what was it, like 2000? Or was it 99? I went to see it with my my Final Fantasy adult friend that I we downloaded saves together. Adult. Well, yeah, we genuinely were. <laughs> Final Fantasy was, for a, for a fair amount of time, our life. Yeah, I had a couple of friends who were... Uh, the one I mentioned in the first half who played Final Fantasy VI, he was absolutely obsessed with it. I mm. got it on DVD from Love Film, probably like the mid-2000s. Did you? We went yeah. to the cinema to see it. I, I remember really enjoying it. Hang on, are we talking adventure... I've just realised, Chris, we're talking about two different things. You've said Advent Children, so it's my fault, because you're talking about Advent Children, which is the like the expansion of the Final Fantasy VII universe, aren't yes. you? Which came out... Yeah, so I bought that on DVD and watched it. It was it was very anime. It knew what it was talking about, but it didn't necessarily feel like you had to. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I enjoyed the spectacle of it and just reacquainted myself with those, th- those characters. Yeah. What I was talking about, actually, was the film Spirit, The Spirits Within, which I don't know... Do you know what the spirits within? The shit is that it was a Final Fantasy film that had a cinematic release. You never went and watched it. No, I never heard of it. Right. So when it was released, the big talking point for a lot of new shows was how nice the hair looked. So I'm <laughs> genuinely they had new hair tech, new hair technology for building the hair in the spirits within, and people were going bonkers over the hair so much so that it was on the news. And I can't remember whether it was on News Round or whether it was on the real news. But I remember watching before we, me and my friend, Final Fantasy adult friend went to see it. I remember watching a news sequence where they were banging on about just how amazing the hair was. They rendered, in Final Fantasy Spirits Within, they rendered every strand of hair on everybody's heads. They did that in Monsters Inc. in 2001 on Sunday. So, not impressed. Well, I think Final Fantasy Spirits Within was prior to that. So, let me just check. Right. Well, if it was, then I stand down. Well, it was 2001. So, it would depend on the... It's July. <laughs> it was July 2001. There you go. I'm not checking I'm not checking the Monsters, Inc. But <laughs> they were happening at the same time. They were probably using the same tech. Either way, it is still very impressive. I agree. Me and my friend went to see this film. You're I'm sure every, we were the only two people. The whole we were, film. yeah, it was amazing. The, the <laughs> film, unfortunately, didn't make a great deal of sense, uh, but the cinema was empty as well. Right. So, yeah, all around, it was a brilliant cinematic experience for us. My last question in terms of the wider Final Fantasy VII universe then, Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, so Kingdom Hearts, I was raging for Kingdom Hearts right up until it came out and then for a long while after. Are you a Kingdom Hearts fan or are you about to rip it apart? I love Kingdom Hearts. Do you? What, the whole thing or just Kingdom Hearts? Uh, Well, okay. Kingdom Hearts, the first one. I started playing the second one and then couldn't really be bothered with it and then oh. I've not played any subsequent ones it's renowned for being very convoluted yeah well the, the the first one got very convoluted towards the end I've not oh you haven't you haven't seen anything Kingdom Hearts <laughs> 2 I, I, like I said I did have but gave up halfway through and then Kingdom Hearts 3 I've not because that was PS4 yeah I've got that so one if you uh, that. are ever allowed round again we can have a kids dinner and then play some Kompoopa games oh yeah yeah. Kingdom Hearts is very very complicated but it does have the reason that it was the reason we were so looking forward to it was because it did something new with characters that we loved Cloud, yeah. Sephiroth and so on and I still love it for that I, I still enjoy it in a perverse way there are so many of the games and it's so complicated though Sephiroth voiced by Lance Bass from NSYNC. 
That's so my amazing you told fact. me, yeah. I did not know that. No, not Justin Timberlake, Lance Bass. Yeah. So we know who won out of I, that. I mean, to be fair, can you name any other people from NSYNC? Because I certainly can't. I didn't know that there was a Lance Bass. It is Justin Timberlake from NSYNC, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I thought it was just Justin Timberlake and then three other versions, three other lesser versions of Justin Timberlake. I didn't so know there was a Lance Bass. So there was four, so there you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's that one you've forgotten. Yeah, and the one that doesn't really exist. Oh, I don't know. We're going to have to start wrapping up. We're talking about yeah. NSYNC and we've been re- recording for an hour and a half. So, uh, we're going to have to say goodbye to everybody. Thank you for joining us for what is likely to be an extended edition Director's of uh, this game where for an important game and for a long yeah. game so we're we're only sticking with genre thank you for joining us you can come find us on on the youtubes and the twitters and the facebook's and the instagrams uh, we will talk to you if you talk to us that's our deal and uh, we will see you again next week for another episode thank you for joining us bye toodle pip